the screws aren't evenly done on my soundproofing thing here. That's annoying. I recommend not touching it <laughs> right now, please. <laughs> Let's not touch. You don't want me to touch the soundproofing? I don't want you to touch the soundproofing. I don't, I don't see why I shouldn't touch the soundproofing stuff. Please don't touch the soundproofing. Oh, the hook just came undone at the top of the Are soundproofing. You, did you touch it? it? Hold on. You see? Yeah, I, I told you, don't touch it. <laughs> I just saw the hook undo from the top. Hold on a second. <laughs> Okay, the hook's back in. That thing only weighs like 300 pounds if it falls on me. It's no problem. Why does it weigh 300 pounds? What is it? It's a it's a mobile recording booth panel thing. You're supposed to have four of them. I don't know who thinks this is mobile because when the guys delivered it, it, it weighed so much. Why, why do you have to like, I don't understand why you have to construct a room inside of your office. Look, I'm, I'm basically building like a little black monolith in which I will reside to record the podcasts. And I don't see what's wrong with that or why you would disapprove of that. Gray, it is merch time. Merch. We have Cortex merchandise. We have new t-shirts and a hoodie for the first time. We have a whole selection. It's the first time we've ever done this. We have four different styles of product for you to go and buy Cortex listeners. I want to give people a very brief rundown of what we've got. Um, you can go to cortexmerch.com to check out the range. I love that URL, by the way, Mike. I love that. <laughs> I figure you got, you know, you got to, got to make it easy for people. I realized this in the past. It's always been like, oh, go to here, find the link. No, yeah. cortexmerch.com. That's where you go to buy our merchandise. Boom. Very professional. Uh, we are partnering with our friends at Cotton Bureau. Um, Cotton Bureau make the best quality t-shirts that I've ever worn. They do worldwide shipping. They have great pricing for Europe and places like that too. We have three t-shirts available and a hoodie. We're, for the first time ever, we are selling merchandise with our logo on it. A little behind the scenes here, listeners, because Mike is very excited about, the t- very excited. about these t-shirts. As I'm sure you can mm-hmm. hear in his voice. He's very excited. Mm-hmm. He's been working on this for a long time, sending me updates, images to approve. That's my job, to give a little tap back reply, thumbs up yep. on things. Uh, but Mike has been, for literally years now, holding back merchandise with the brain logo on it. I wouldn't say holding back. Holding back is a, is maybe a harsher term. Uh, just waiting <laughs> for the right time would be what I would say. <laughs> All right, all right. Mike has been waiting for the right time to do merchandise with the brain, and I have to agree with him. This is the right time. The stuff he's been sending me looks amazing. But if you've been thinking, why don't they sell a t-shirt or a hoodie with that amazing brain logo on it? Well, today is the day. Today is the day. Today is your day to buy some brain logo merchandise. We have the original which is the logo as you know it in the nice blue color that it has. And we have two special editions. Now, these two special editions, this may be the only time we ever sell these two. One is the Cortec, which is a green brain, which is glow in the dark. <laughs> I love that. I totally love that. And then we have Cortex Aversary. It was the gold logo for our 50th episode. And we're coming up to like three years doing this show. So it's about right oh my God. time that we do this. So the Cortex Aversary is super special gold foil. The brain is made <laughs> of gold foil on the t-shirt. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty special. And obviously, as you can imagine, the t-shirt prices change as you would expect them to through that range. And then we also have, I, I think this might be my favorite part. We have a hoodie. So we have a, a, a hoodie that you can buy with the brain logo on it, but it's not printed. 
is embroidered. And it looks awesome. It looks so good. I have to say, Mike sent me the images, some of the pre-production images of the hoodie. And, and my response was, give me 10 of those. Yeah, They, they look really, really cozy. Really I want them. I, I wonder if you can put in the show notes the that close-up photo that you sent me where you can sure. really see the embossedness of the Cortex logo on that hoodie because I think it looks really sweet. It looks really great. So here's the deal. Um, for the time being, this will be a limited run. So the hope is that we might be able to find a way to sell these again in the future, uh, hopefully on a more permanent basis. But for the time being, all of this merch is available for three weeks. It is available until April the 10th, 2018. So if you want it, and trust me, you do, go to cortexmerch.com, check out the range, and buy everything that you like. And maybe in the future we might be able to sell some of these items, but I'll tell you the glow in the dark and the foil, this is the only time you're going to get these. So bear that in mind. Yeah, those are the limited editions. Mm -hmm. A cortex anniversary. it doesn't come around all the time. It does not. It happened. We had that episode with the gold, and you know that was it. There won't be another Cortex episode with the gold logo. There won't be another Cortex Anniversary gold t-shirt. Got to get it now. Especially, you only have three weeks to get this stuff. Maybe if, if you want to look really cool at an upcoming conference this summer, this mm-hmm. seems like particularly good stuff to get. I don't know. I don't know if there's any conferences or cool events coming up this summer. But if there were, I certainly would want to get one of these shirts for said cool person conference. Especially, you know, if me or you are maybe at cool person conferences and, you know, I like high fives. So, you know, there are lots of high fives that could be given to people wearing the Cortex brain. So cortexmerch.com, go and buy some awesome merchandise. Yeah, just to be really clear, though, gray high fives not included with Cortex merchandise. No, I, I was very careful about that. Uh, <laughs> like high five only. There's a little yeah. asterisk. Gray high fives cannot be given. You must check the purchase. Before, you know, we have a whole little thing. So, Yeah, no, I don't even want to think about travel. I have no idea what I'm doing. But I'm just saying, summertime, conference time, you want to look cool. What could be cooler than a glow-in-the-dark brain t-shirt? I, I don't know anything. Or, or a gold one. Can you imagine a gold, one. a gold foil with the with the hoodie? <laughs> Come <laughs> you, on. You want to double up? You want to double on. up? <laughs> I mean, I feel like you have to, right? Like, well, that's, that's a pretty sweet situation you got going on. Be the bling master. I want to talk about one of those events in a minute, but should we do some yearly theme updates? Okay. So I've been... Uh, I've not decided where my journal fits into my yearly theme yet. I know it's in one of them. I just haven't worked out which one. Can you remind the listeners and me in this moment what your two themes are? I feel like because you went with two, I can't remember either of them. They've flown right out of my head. The year of adulting. Ah, okay, right. Year of adulting. And the year of branching out. Year of branching out. I feel like the journal is much more branching out than year of adulting. The year of adulting is very is like for some very specific events, right? Mm, the, so like, yeah. but the overall, the big theme for me this year is the year of branching out, and and this is one of those things in a way because it is a little bit different to any. It's a little bit outside of my usual comfort zone to like sit and write a journal every day. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing it every day. Um, I don't do it on weekends, is what I've come to to. It's just a thing that I don't really feel like I need to because as well, Mm. a lot of what goes in my journal is very work focused. Um, Mm. So I tend not to write in it on the weekends unless I'm having a working day on the weekend. So 
but yeah, I've been keeping it up. I added in one of your suggestions after the last episode of the What's on My Mind heading. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and hmm. I found that to be really helpful because sometimes I want to write some stuff down that doesn't fit in like something good, something bad, or priorities or something like that. And, and a lot of the time it is just how I'm feeling. Um, mm. And that has been a nice addition, which I don't use every day, uh, but it's good to have it there when I want it. Hmm. I'm glad that's working for you. So I, I, it's still like I'm still very impressed with your. N- now that we're like, how long have you been doing this now? It must be what a month? Is that about right since you started? I can tell you actually because I wrote the date down. I've been doing this since twentieth of February. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's just about a month. I'm I'm very impressed with that because you know when we discussed journaling, you know, and it got a little, got a little like touchy feely last episode. You know. Sorry about that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how that happens. This is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I discuss my feelings. This was one of those things I have to tell you, right? <laughs> Every now and then, just like you, you record something and it's done, and like you put it out there, and that's it. But sometimes you get people reaching out. Like I had some friends. Like, are you okay? It's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm all good. <laughs> I had a few of those messages. Like, you doing all right? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Or like, I've had people ask me things and then they're like, I'm sorry to give you more work. So no, 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 we're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's like that time I put out a video about death. I got a lot of messages from people mm-hmm. where they're like, are you okay? I was like, <laughs> is there some kind of existential crisis topic. going yeah. on? <laughs> I was like, it's, no, it's fine. Like, if I ever put out a video about death again, people, you don't need to send me messages about, like, are you okay, right? It's just it's just an interesting topic. Uh, yeah, but I could see that on, on a show, if you start talking about your feelings, people are like, oh, God, are you you on the edge? <laughs> doing all right? Some kind of breakdown, Mike? <laughs> yeah. You doing okay? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it got a bit, it got a bit uh, emotional. But no, it's all good. And I'm pleased. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, I may be thinking about, doing some different stuff in it after mm-hmm. having read Triggers, which we're going to talk about today. But I mm-hmm. haven't yet worked out how I would maybe add these things in. So that might, that's one of the things that I want to go over when we talk about the book in a little bit mm-hmm. um, to check out and get your thoughts on it, especially because I know that it influenced your stuff when you do any journaling. So It was the case that after the last episode, I was thinking, oh, I should really, I should really make a real effort about trying to do the journaling again. And then I immediately used the homework that I had assigned ourselves about reading that book as an excuse to not do it. Like, well, I can't do it until I've reread this book. <laughs> and I finished my reread of the book this morning. So it's like my, I, have not, I have not done any journaling since the last episode. Again, I find this a really hard habit to keep up outside. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm doubly impressed with your ability to do that so i think i think that's but i think it's good i think that's a a good addition to the year of the year of branching out it will it will help you explore your ideas about branching out like Mm -hmm. like what are you going to do what does that mean for this upcoming year year of adulting that's kind of a thing that the external world just pushes upon you yeah Mm -hmm. exactly as i hear carry this boulder this boulder labeled being an adult but year of branching out that's you looking towards the horizon figuring out which way are you and the boulder going to go? I really wish you wouldn't describe it that way. I, just don't... <laughs> I, don't, I don't like the thought of You don't like the mental pictures that I paint? Mike? You didn't like my forest fire last time. No. Although I'm, I'm still 
absolutely convinced that was the proper metaphor. I don't know if you saw, but people were sending you pictures of, of what like forest fires look like when they're making a forest nice and clean by getting rid of all the underbrush. Did, did you find any of these actual images of forests burning down helpful in understanding the visual picture that I was trying to paint? No, it just, it just reinforced my original <laughs> th- feeling of why this shouldn't be the metaphor that we use. Hmm. No, I, th- I think it's great. And I think you should also just think of the year of adulting as like a boulder that is being harnessed to your back that you carry around. Not a thing that you choose, but a thing that is added onto you. And then the year of branching out is you deciding where to walk with the boulder. Oh, so like I put the boulder on top of the hill and then like drag it around. Yeah, you haven't chosen it. It gets attached to you. That's what Mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. That's year of adulting. (laughs) And then year of branching out is where am I going to go now that I have this attached to me? That's, Mm. That's how I, if I were you, that's how I would like to think about it. That sounds very encouraging. <laughs> I'll try and keep that one in mind. Keep it in mind. I think that's a healthy mental picture. You want me to talk about what another thing I'm doing to branch out? Is that what you want me to do? Yeah, that's where, that's where I'm leading. So where, where are you in the boulder going this year, Mike? Uh, so WWDC is coming. This is Apple's conference uh, where they announce all of their stuff for the next year. Mm-hmm. It's happening in San Jose again from the 4th to the 8th of June. And we're doing a live show. So last year we did not Ooh. do a live show because we moved place. But there is going to be a Relay FM live show at WWDC on Wednesday, June the 6th. This is branching out because there is an audience of 900 people available in the room. Uh, the biggest live show that I've ever done had 230 people. So 900 is a, is a, is a step to make. Is quite an increase. It is quite an increase, but I'm very excited about it. So you can go and get tickets. We're, we're doing this in partnership with a conference called AltConf, which is happening next door to where Apple holds their conference. I'll put links in the show notes, but you can go to altconf.com and they have tickets there for Relay FM Live on June the 6th. Uh, you should come see us if you're going to be in town. It's going to be a really good show. We're planning out some fun stuff to do. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and just to be clear, you don't have to be a developer who's gotten a ticket to go to WWDC to be part of AltConf. That's the whole that's the whole point, the whole point of, AltConf. of AltConf. Yep. Right. Is that it's next door, it's the alternative conference. And it's free. Yeah. If like me, you are not a developer, you're not one of these gods who makes the apps for us, mm-hmm. uh, you can go to AltConf and it's cool. You check out things that are going on there and yep. really a live show. Tickets for our live show are $5, um, and all of that money goes towards supporting what AltConf does, providing free content for people that are going to be in town. So if you want to come and see a great night of podcast fun, get on over to Relay FM Live at AltConf on June the 6th. So it's going to be awesome, and go get tickets at altconf.com to see the Relay FM Live show. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Indochino. With Indochino, you can say goodbye to generic off-the-rack suits and instead enjoy a custom suit tailored to you at a fraction of the cost that you would pay if you went to a tailor. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear company, and they haven't gone unnoticed. They've been featured in GQ, Forbes, and Fast Company. Lots of people love Indochino, and they get a lot of respect for it too. They make suits and shirts made to your exact measurements to give you a great fit every day. They have a wide selection of high-quality fabrics and the option to personalize all those little details, including the lapel, jacket, lining, 
monogram even, and so much more. It's so easy with Indochino. You just pick your fabric, you submit your measurements, place your order, and in three weeks, you'll have your new custom-made suit. Let me talk about submitting the measurements. So simple. They sent me a tape measure. I just had someone help me where I needed it, and I just entered in all of the measurements into their simple system, which actually talks you through how to fill everything in. It shows you what parts of your body you need to measure. It checks if there's any that seem a little bit out of place, and then in a few weeks' time, I have my own suit, and it's fantastic. It lives in my wardrobe. It's there whenever I need it. If I need to go to an occasion, if I need to go to some kind of event, I have my Indochino suit waiting there for me. You can shop online at Indochino.com. That is I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Or visit any of their showrooms across North America. And Indochino shipped to many locations worldwide. But listeners of this show can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com when entering Cortex at checkout. That is over 50% off the regular price of a premium made-to-measure suit. Plus, shipping is free. That is Indochino.com, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code Cortex for any premium suit for $359 with free shipping. Head there now and get an incredible deal on a perfectly tailored suit. Our thanks to Indochino for their support of this show and Relay FM. How is the year of order going? Sorry, I had something in my throat there. Uh, Is it going okay? You sound ridiculous when you do that, Mm -hmm. Mike. Yeah, of course, of course. Nobody says order like that. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. Why would you? Yeah, why would you? It's ridiculous. But, um, yeah, so year of order, year of order is, is going well, but there's a thing, I feel like I want to get it on the record now, just to put this, to put this at the beginning. I have a very strong feeling that this is going to be much more like the years of order. Like, I think, I have a feeling this is a theme that is not going to be done. It is a regime. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know what? That's even better. Yeah. It's like the regime of order. Yeah. I like that. I don't have any specifics that I want to really talk about on on the show, but I can just say like it's a thing that I'm being very deliberate and also very slow about. Like I'm I'm trying not to rush a bunch of things. And um also, we'll get into a bit later, but there's there are some things where I feel like the year of redirection slash chaos didn't really end until like mid-February. Uh, there were some projects that kind of lingered over and I'm just being very deliberate with it. But I want to get it on the record now because future me might look like he just couldn't think of a new theme for the year when we have our next discussion uh, about like, what are the themes for the year? I want it. I want current me to save him and get it on the record that if that guy thinks it's, we just need to have another year of order to lead into the regime of order that he was already thinking about it way back at the beginning of the year. It just, this feels like the more I think about it and the more I do it, it just feels like a much bigger thing than actually a, a single year, because I really do feel like this is touching on lots of different aspects of my life. So I feel like this may be the years of order. That that's that might be. As I might be able to help you here. I've opened up the thesaurus. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the year of procedure or the year of structure, um, the year of codification? <laughs> you could just keep doing that, right? So it's like it's the same thing, but you give it a different name every year. No, that's dumb. That's dumb. The year of symmetry. That doesn't even make no. That doesn't even make any sense, there, Mike. Ooh, year of harmony. I like that one. I could do some fun things talking about that. <laughs> year 
year of harmony, though, that feels like a very different kind of year than the year of order. Your year of order is is not the same as harmony. Your thesaurus is broken, and it needs to be better at thesaurizing. But no, I just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to pull one over on the audience by giving the same thing a different name. Mm-hmm. I just I just wanted to get on the record. And this is also again why I like to speak in terms of like seasons and even this idea of like the year of order. Like, but when did when does the year start? Like who knows? Whenever. Uh years to me, they can be two years. They can be one year. Who knows? But I, I just have a feeling like this is going to be a much a much larger project. And I want to get it on record now for future me that that's that's what's going to happen. Also I don't really have any specific thoughts about this, but I can already see what is going to be the first really major obstacle towards the year of order, which is yesterday I was finishing up my travel schedule for the next couple months. And you know how we've discussed you have that feeling of overwhelmedness? Mm. I I definitely, I was looking at the things that I have booked myself for for the next several months, and I just thought... <gasps> Oh God, like I got that real yeah. tightness in my, ch- and I had this feeling of like, like travel sick without even going. Guys, this is so awkward for me because I'm, I feel I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I know, I, I feel like I'm to blame for all of this. But here's the thing, Mike, you're not to blame for all of this. You are but a part of this, okay. right? And of course, you are part of it, but not remotely all of it. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but it was, it was just a funny thing to be looking at the travel schedule and like, oh my God. And and recognizing that this was really one of the things that, that started me thinking about the year of order was doing all the travel last year and, and feeling like, oh, it threw my life into chaos. And so I have, like, I'm just aware of trying to think about this in advance and, I've been thinking about some strategies that I'm just toying with right now about how to try to maintain order in my life throughout a chaotic schedule. Uh, but when I was running over the dates and plans and things with my assistant, she threw out an idea, which was the idea that made me feel sick because I thought, oh, she's not wrong. But her suggestion was, well, why don't you just fly to America in April and not come back until the end of June? <laughs> I was like, oh. It's <laughs> like, no, that's crazy. Uh, oh, actually, it's not that crazy. It's no, no, not no, the no, craziest no, 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 idea no, I've no, ever it's had. It's a crazy idea. It is. <laughs> it might make sense in your situation. Doesn't mean it's less crazy. It's a crazy yeah. idea. That is a wild thing to do. Because, like, at that point, like, if you were like, you, you have a special situation. But if you were me, like, I'd be pushing up against visa regulations. Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's when it's a problem. Right? Like, you have overstayed your welcome in this country. <laughs> I have a question for you on this, right? Yeah. Because you are a man who cannot be made to do things, right? Like, if you don't want to do something, you won't do it. And and it, it kind of doesn't matter what it is. Like, if you don't want to do it, you won't do it. Like, people cannot pressure you into doing things because you're, you're very strong-willed like that. So considering you know how much of a stress this travel might be to you. Why are you doing it all? I mean, why do we do anything, Mike? Because when it, that's not a good seems... answer to that question, Greg. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but you do a thing because it makes sense to do. And this is one of the, this is one of the cases where I don't want to get into, into too many of the particulars right now because it's, like, it's just like a long story. But part, part of it just is that at this stage in my life, it makes way more sense and there's way more reasons to do traveling than there was before. And and that's why I feel like I'm willing to 
suck up a bunch of jet lag and disruption to my calendar. And once I'm once I'm able to make that decision, I always feel like if I'm traveling, if I'm going like I'm if I'm going to be flying to America anyway, I might as well try to double or triple up on what the trip actually is. Mm-hmm. So there's a num- there's a number of times where it's like, oh, I'm flying into America for uh, I don't know, maybe a thing on the West Coast. And then then immediately I start thinking about like, well, is there something I can do on the East Coast on my way in and also on the East Coast on my way out? And then I start planning things like that. So th- there are ways in which I am sort of the the source of my own problem. But I don't I don't view it as a problem. I view it as like, if I'm going to go through this anyway, how can I try to maximize this time? either in like a business way or either in a family or a personal way. So that that's partly why my travel schedule does look a little crazy is I'm also taking things and expanding them a little bit in either direction to say like, if I'm going to be there anyway, what's nearby or can I combine this with another trip? So that's why trips to America very quickly become at least two trips to America for me. Mm. Yeah, see, I'm still interested to see how this plays out though because that amount of travel was part of, a big contributing factor to what made last year a year of chaos. Yep. But now you're doing basically the same amount of travel, but claiming it's going to be in order. So I'm, I'm, no, 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 I'm no. keen to see where that goes. Just to be clear here, I'm not claiming it's going to be in order. Oh, oh, I demand. I, I would demand, but this is a situation where you, you can't, you can't make demands of your future self because that guy doesn't listen. I'm not saying that it's going to be orderful. I fully expect that there's going to be a lot of stumbling over the year of order during a summer of busy travel but i'm I'm just because i'm thinking of like this is the this is the benefit of the year themes it's like what do i want this year to be like i want it to be more orderful than last year then it naturally starts me thinking ideas about if i am going to be traveling and i know from experience that it was kind of a chaotic disaster last year what can i try to do to minimize that while I'm traveling. So that that that's all. Like and I have some ideas about ways I could try to make it better. But uh, no, I it's there's there's the ideal of how I would want the travel to go and there's the reality of how it actually will go. But maybe there are some strategies I can try to implement to at least make it more like the way I want it to be than it was last year. I think we've got some really interesting themes going on this year. And I think it's clear in the fact that we keep talking about them. Mm. There is like the, the the two main things that we have going on, they seem to be moving way more than last year's themes. You know, like there's there seems to be more kind of like ongoing development with them. It's it's interesting. I think we've both really I mean, I know I have at least like really latched on to my theme idea. Yeah. This year, because it's branching out can mean so many things. So I may be putting too much on myself because I want to keep uh, like going by the theme but i will say that right now it is pretty exciting yeah i, I think it is i feel like we we both have particularly good useful themes this year mm-hmm. from some of our our private discussions as well i feel like they are particularly relevant themes related to like what has happened in the past year and what we expect to happen in the upcoming year like i, I think that they are good they are good themes and it's nice to have the theme to to orient your life and your and your mind around to just like keep focused on this idea as opposed to goals which as we all know goals are dumb gray i want to return to the real kind of tentpole item in the history of our show 
email. I want to talk about email a little bit. Oh, the wheel. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> because I hate email apps again. Oh, Mike. <laughs> so <laughs> you're going through email what I went through with task managers. <laughs> yep. I hate email. Well, I'm going through it with task managers as well. I did a couple of days ago. I kind of looked at my iPad and I was like, I'm not happy with anything right now. Like, <laughs> all systems that I have, I am unhappy with all of them. Uh, I don't know why this is going on. I have this very clear mental image of you, like a little child, just with your arms crossed and frowning at your <laughs> iPad, like, none of this is good. Kind of wagging <laughs> my finger at it. Yeah. <laughs> so what's, go- what's going on with your email? Because you've been using what? Airmail? Airmail yeah, is what I've used yours. Airmail for a long time, despite right. its many problems. Right. You've, you have always been very upfront about that. Yeah. Airmail is, is a buggy app, and there are two problems that I have. One has been persistent, which has been nagging away at me in that when I have an email application and I send an email, what I don't want my email app to do is to completely lock up, which is what it does. Yeah, that's that that would seem bad. Yes. So every time I send an email with airmail, the app completely freezes for a period of time. Well, it's busy sending the email. That's what it's I doing. I guess it is. So like I'd send an email and then if I open another application into Split View whilst the email's sending, everything crashes. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes no, I can just leave it there and the app will just crash. I, what I will say for email is they have a no error rate of like not sending that email. So like if the app crashes, they will always send it when the app is opened again. But I still just, I get frustrated every time I use my email application to send an email and my email application becomes unresponsive. It just feels like something that shouldn't be happening. And yeah. this has been annoying me. It's concerning. Yeah, it is concerning. And then a couple of days ago, I opened Airmail and it sent every email in my inbox to the archive. Okay. All right. Now. <laughs> I don't know why it did that. And I, I don't know why it did it. I couldn't stop it. And that was just the situation that I was in. Okay, I just need to pause here for a little bit of clarification because my understanding of your system is that you'll only ever have like seven emails in your inbox. Is yep. that right? Yep. So it's, it's not for other people. This this is a huge disaster for you. It's obviously no bueno. But so you're losing like seven to ten messages. Right, but here's the problem. Oh, I know what the problem is. I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. No, I, I, trust me. I'm not like, oh, <laughs> That's you just lost seven messages. No, no, no. I understand. These are messages that require a response. Yep. They're all they're the most important emails. <laughs> yeah, they're the most important and emails. And they're over a period of time, which is not linear. Right. So when they are gone, they're they're just gone, mm-hmm. right? Like that's it now. And I had to reconstruct them from memory as to what was what I thought was in my inbox. So this right. is one of those. This is the worst kind of for me, like data loss type problem. Yeah. When you know something's gone, but you don't know what it was. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. That is definitely the worst kind of data loss problem. The uh, that's like a known unknown. Like you know for sure there were. Seven to ten. Exactly how many? Did I get all of them? Did I forget one? Now now you just live in a cloud of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And and also that is the kind of thing that that for me 
when an app does that kind of thing, you suddenly feel like, I can't trust you to do anything. Yeah, I don't trust it anymore. It, it doesn't matter if it's been working perfectly for a year. That kind of error is the like, nope, I'm gone. I need to just state, like, I am on the beta of Airmail, right? Like, I am on a beta version. But some of the problems that it has, basically all of the problems that it has, still exist in the staple version. Uh, maybe if I was on a regular version, it wouldn't have archived, every, archived everything. But honestly, mm-hmm. that was just the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Like I was already right. getting more and more frustrated with it. And the yeah. reason I've never switched from Airmail is because I have never found, found any email application that works for me as good as that one does, From like how my mm-hmm. system works. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been trying to think like, what do I need from an email mm-hmm. application? So I have a few things that I want to list, right? I need a unified inbox for multiple services, not just Gmail. It has to have great iOS apps, which include things like drag and drop on the iPad or even split view. There's an app called Edison Mail that I was thought was really nice, but they broke something and now it won't do split view and they're not 100% sure when that's coming back to the application. Well, that means I oh. can't use it. Because now I don't trust them either, right? Uh, yeah, but I, I would be like, oh, Mike, you can live without drag and drop. But if it split view, forget it. Yeah, drag and drop <laughs> I can live without, even though it's like it's really important to me. If like if it's the only feature that an app didn't have, I would get used to it. But right. I can't have an email application that doesn't work in split view on my iPad because that's how I use email applications. Email application has to be next to Safari. Otherwise, it's 25% as useful. Mm-hmm. Right, like... um, ideally... It would have a Mac app, but if it didn't, it would play nicely with other applications. Like, I don't want an email app that, like, takes all of my email and does something to it, right? Like, I don't want that. Asking for the Mac app has already set the bar quite high. Mm -hmm. As long as it plays nicely with Airmail or Mail on the Mac, I'm fine with that, right? Like, that that will do for me. Yeah, and and by play nicely, you mean it's not making special custom folders to exactly. do whatever it does but yeah I, I i agree at some point i did try a couple email clients that did that kind of thing and um, immediately like no 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 you don't mess with the folder structure of my email like i, I don't care how good of an app you are uh, like you're gonna you're gonna use straight up imap with my folders and you're gonna like it like that's that's what's gonna happen email app uh none of these special folders and moving things around because that that also feels like <laughs> It's like the Evernote problem. Like, how do I ever get out of this system, right? I, like, I'm going to need to move at some point. So, yeah, that's a total deal breaker. Yep. So, I will say, I do use SaneBox right now, which does some of this stuff. We're, like, filtering into folders. But SaneBox can, in theory, work with any application because all it's doing is applying Gmail labels to things, right? So, I, mm-hmm. I like that. It works for me. But that using SaneBox has introduced another requirement for an email application that there has to be quick and easy access to labels or folders, however it calls them, and in a sidebar which is customizable. Mm. So I've used a bunch of apps which shows me every folder or every label. That's no good because I only ever want to see two of them. I don't need the rest. And so there are some apps that will do this, some that won't. Uh, I need push notifications. And a big one for me is a clear business model. Mm. If I am going to start using an email application, I want to be confident it's going to be around next week. And if there is no... I I don't care what the business model is to a point... I just need to be able to trace where the money's coming from. And if I can't do that, I don't want to use it. Don't you just want it to be free, though, Mike? Isn't free great? No, I I mean, I don't care. I mean, so, like, I will pay. I have no problem paying. I'll pay a subscription. I have no problem paying. And I don't care if it's free, if it makes sense, right? So, like, Microsoft Outlook. 
I know why that's free. Mm, oh, that's a good comparison. Yeah, that's that's a really good. That, that is a free app that I could feel good about too. <laughs> Most free apps, I feel like, oh, this is garbage. Because what they want me to do is become an Office three sixty five customer. Like that's the business right. model, right? Get me into the Microsoft ecosystem. Like I'm fine with that. Or like Gmail, I'm fine with Gmail being free. You know, like I'm good with it as long as there's a reason for it. If it's just like, hey, right. we're a startup and our email app's free. It's like, yeah, but where's the money? Because businesses need that. And right. so, you know, and there are things, right, that I'm willing to accept. So like Gmail being free, I know it's because they use it to serve ads to me and I'm fine with that. So I just, yeah. need some, you know, I'm, I, I need to know where the money's coming from. So I'm out in the email app wilderness once again. Uh, nothing is making me happy right now to move mm-hmm. away from airmail, but I also don't want to be on airmail. So I don't know. Expect to hear more from me about this, but I'm I'm out in the wilderness, and everyone's going to have suggestions, and I appreciate them. Like if you think you have an app that can can give me what I'm looking for, like I want to know in the Reddit. But my my cursory searching has told me that nothing nothing exists. Yeah, I assume the Gmail is free because. The business model is actually there's an AI that is slowly improving itself and it just needs access to more and more data. Yes. <laughs> That's what the actual business model is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, the computer's sentient and it wants to know everything about humans. That's why Gmail is free. <laughs> That's a business model, you know? I don't care as long as it's clear. <laughs> Are you a sentient AI looking to take over the world? That's good. At least I know what you're doing. Yep. You're not some fly-by-night startup. <laughs> I can accept it, right? Like the AI needs its needs its brain juice, and it's, you know, any way yeah. that it's going to get it, I suppose. That's a long list, Mike. I, I, I wish you, I wish you the best of luck with this. Uh, but all I can ever think when I look at lists like this is just this fact of life that with anything, if you're trying to make a decision or you're trying to find something. Do you have one requirement? Okay, you're probably going to be pretty happy. Do you have two requirements? You can probably find something. Two two requirements, that's still like a market. The instant you get to three or more requirements, I'm astounded about the like the non-linear descent of options. That if you're looking for something that has three or four things, it's, it's like you're options decrease to nothing almost immediately yep. and so i'm looking at this i'm looking at mike has six bullet points and it's like no the universe is not large enough that anywhere has sentient life created an app that would meet all of these requirements for you like i think i think that's the situation i'm willing to bend some of these i don't know which ones right i think it mm-hmm. depends on what the application can do for me because there are always changes i can make to my system like my requirements right now are built upon what i've learned in using airmail for multiple years right so Mm -hmm. honestly the application that does the most of these is airmail and i am aware of that but the plan is to try and move away from airmail so i will make compromise but i don't know what those compromises will be yet right 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 okay because i need to find an application where i'm like okay i like this app it doesn't do this one thing but I'm willing to look past that. Now, Edison was the closest that kind of did a lot of it, but its failing point might be the most important, which is mm-hmm. has to feel like a really good iPad app because mm-hmm. that's where I'm doing the vast majority of my email. So, you know, maybe I'll look at it again, but I'm not so sure. It looked like a good app, but if you do something to your application that breaks split view and you're not sure how long it's going to take to fix it, puts you a warning for me right like uh, 
Will this happen again? So I'm out in the wilderness. That's where I feel like I'm at right now. Like just there's emails. There's envelopes and paper planes all around me. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's all. Those are the two that it's going to be, right? Because I've, like, I've installed a bunch of apps onto my planes. iPad, right? And I just have two rows of icons that are paper planes or envelopes. Email is neither of those things. There is no paper involved in email. But the paper, the, this is like the icon of the paper plane has just so become an email to me. I'm like, what do you mean the paper plane is an email? Obviously, that's email. You, you send it off with a little with a little cute animation where it swirls over as it goes. Like right? this That's is how like. we end up with a floppy disk icon as save. Yeah. Oh, of course. Right. And that we're in this world now where people don't actually send letters anymore. They send emails. That's how you communicate with each other. But now emails is some email is somehow synonymous with paper from a from a design perspective. <laughs> right. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Uh, so, like, I wonder, the thing that replaces email, like, what will its icon be, right? Like, what will the eventual icon for email be? And then we're mm-hmm. just going to keep going down that route forever. But as I was uh, thinking a lot about email, it brought me back to something that you had mentioned last episode, that you were going to try and do something about your email backlog. <sighs> and you'd mentioned you hadn't opened email for months, so my thought was kind of like, is it even worth it? Like, how do you go through that? Like, is it even worth going through it? Or surely all of the questions asked have been answered by the fact that you never replied. So, like, <laughs> isn't it worth just, like, command A and archive? This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Simple Contacts. It's pretty great when an app can take a tiresome task and make it fuss-free. That is something we are all about on this show. And Simple Contacts does just this by being the new and easy way to renew your contact lens prescription. You'll be able to reorder your contacts from anywhere you want in just minutes. All you need to do is complete their online self-guided vision test, which takes just five minutes from wherever you are right now. Just download their app and try it out. No more waiting around in doctor's offices or waiting rooms. You can just do it right there with the palm of your hand. Then you can order your favorite contacts right from their website or app. Simple Contacts offers all of the lens brands that you'll love with options for astigmatism, multifocal lenses, colored lenses, and so much more. And you'll be able to order exactly what you need whenever you want wherever you want. Their vision test is just $20, which for comparison, an appointment without insurance could cost you way over 200 Simple Contacts can save you money and time. But I want to let you know that this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. As a listener of this show, you can get $30 off your contact lenses. Just go to simplecontacts.com slash cortex or enter cortex at checkout. That is simplecontacts.com slash cortex or use the code cortex at checkout for $30 off. Our thanks to Simple Contacts for their support of this show. I got a lot of, I got a lot of comments from the last show. People were like, hey, dude. Have you heard of email bankruptcy? Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I've heard of email bankruptcy. I think maybe for some people that can work, but that that would not work for me. I will say, personally, I think email bankruptcy is a terrible idea in basically every situation. I just, I just don't think that's the right way. I don't know what the right way is to deal with 20,000 emails, but I think it's, it's, it's not good. Because I feel like if you've done that once, you'll be doing it forever. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I can see situations where it makes sense. Like, I think of, I, I mentioned before, but like, when I used to be a teacher and I'd, you know, be away for being sick or something and come back and there were just like thousands of emails in my inbox. And and, and that to me was like, 
ah, you're all, it, all of this is going away. And it struck me as, I, I think the optimal case for email bankruptcy, which is important things will come back. And that was my experience that like in a working environment, email bankruptcy is, is in many ways much easier to do. Yeah. I mean, I used to do an element of this at the bank, but not all of it though. And like, and I would look at it. Right. Yeah. I don't think that it's a totally useless idea. I, I just, I feel like, I don't know, maybe you need, you need to be, uh, as I was a very strategic slacker. If you're going to properly implement the email bank, like you need to be at just the right position and you need to be able to have the expectation that other people will put in the effort to re-reach you about whatever it is that you need. But so the, the reason that I'm not doing it now is a, a couple of fold. Um, one of one of the things is I know that I will just never sleep well at night if I just archive a year's worth of emails and never look at them. I will not get the feeling that I want to get, which is I have successfully dealt with this thing that I've avoided for a really long time. Because if I just archive it, I will forever wonder about like, is the tax man going to show up at my door with the policeman because I forgot to fill out some form? that some accountants sent to me ages ago, right? Or like, is there just something important in there that I missed? Like, I just, I would not get the sense of relief. Yeah, because a lot of those things that are super risky, those people won't care enough to contact you again. Like, it's on you. That's exactly it, right? And this is, again, the difference about like the school scenario where email bankruptcy is possible is... Being a strategic slacker there, it's like, ah, whatever. Most of this stuff is not really my problem. Like, I know the nature of this work is all of this is somebody else's problem, and they'll they'll contact mm-hmm. me again. I'm right? reminded of this every time the accountant that I pay every single month to to do all of my tax stuff because I can't do it on my own when they mm-hmm. send me an email and say, can you confirm this is all right before we submit it? And I think to myself, why are we playing this game? You know I don't know this, right? Yeah. Like you sending me this to be submitted for the tax man. What is the point in me looking at it, right? This is when I'm reminded of this stuff. Like, that that drives me crazy. I hate that so much. It's like yeah. I would do it on my own if I knew what this was. <laughs> yeah, I, I I completely agree. That that always strikes me as as fraud, and especially in my situation where it's like there's hundreds of pages going to mm-hmm. two different countries and several different like legal structure it's like it's just so complicated uh like yeah because also with three different citizenships like it's crazy and i i always feel the same thing like like my accountants arrange a signing day where i have come in and there is just a table full of stacks of paper and they're like well you have to sign all of this right yeah and you have to agree we did it correctly yeah and and we play the game where they're like do you want some time to read these 300 pages? Of, of, <laughs> all right. Go put a, put a coffee on. It's time yeah, to go. And, and they're like, oh, we sent this to you in PDF form yesterday. And you agree that all of this is correct. He's like, dude, I always feel the same thing. Like, I would never hire you if I could just do this. Yeah. Right. Like, why would we even be doing this? But so anyway. I pay you a lot of money for this. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's, 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 it's always, it is always a strange, it's crazy making, but there, There is that balance of like who needs who more in the email exchange. And the other thing that's that's different here is I think the nature of being self-employed 
is that you, you want to make sure you've at least reviewed all of the messages, even if it's something from like six months ago. There is a way in which I wouldn't feel good about declaring email bankruptcy, being self-employed uh, without having looked through those things. Um, and then the other thing, which is not really, it's not really broadly applicable, but I just, I do sort of want to say, so people understand the situation is that like when you're a person in the public view, sometimes you get sent interesting emails that are like, like, like the kind of thing that will happen is some, someone will say like, oh, hey, I listened to the show and I work at interesting place X. Next time you're in city Y, if you ever want to see the behind the scenes, like, let me know. And, and that's the kind of thing where if someone sent that email six months ago, it doesn't exactly demand a reply. And it's a useful thing to kind of archive for future reference of like, oh, when I'm in place Y, someone sent me an email about this thing and maybe it's cool to do, right? Or, or people just contact you because they're like, oh, hey, I'm interesting person Z and I like your work. If you're ever in city, maybe we meet up for coffee. Mm -hmm. So that, that's also part of the like, why am I going through this? Because I, I think of emails like that as like, infrequent and not and not even always accessible but like infrequent little gems and i do do my best to try to keep a record of all of those kind of things so that when i'm in a place i can try to search and be like oh has anyone in this locale ever contacted me about whatever and so that's that's also why like i'm not going to declare email bankruptcy because almost certainly there are messages like that that don't require a reply but are just like open doors in the future. So it's it's a combination of all of these things, like worrying about extreme negative downsides where the person sending a message doesn't really care about me following up. Like eventually it'll just be a big problem. And then also like these very rare upsides. Mm -hmm. So So that's why I am very slowly working my way through this. Uh, and yeah, I'm going, going through email. I actually only just started this morning a little bit of trying to go through the email. Opened up the old email and thought, let me do this. Let me start digging. How many are in there? It's not as terrible as people are probably thinking. I have in I have in like the high hundreds of emails to go through. It's not thousands of messages. I how is it only that many? I mean, I'm a little bit confused about that because I'm assuming that you also just get a lot of just like people contacting you for things. Right, like viewers and stuff like that. One of the things that is great is that years ago, I took down my public contact email off of the web. And I, th I don't think I've ever mentioned it, but I've been really pleased that over the years, there's been like a half-life of random people sending messages okay. to that address that has gone down. Because they, they come to you in other places, right? In On Twitter and on, on Reddit and things like that, I guess, instead. Where you welcome it and, and engage and want to want it to be. I think that is partly the factor. Like, I'm reasonably active on Twitter and fairly active on Reddit, especially when shows or videos go up. Mm -hmm. So people know that they can contact me there. Um, <laughs> I, was just, I, was just about to, like, I was just about to say a thing, which is like, oh, I'm... I'm I'm very likely to see messages on Reddit, but then I was thinking, like, do I want to say that out loud? Because then people will try to contact me on Reddit more. Like, I don't know, whatever. But, like, that is the case mm -hmm. that, like, people send me a lot of messages through Reddit. And it's actually not a bad medium because I often don't 
feel any real obligation to reply and still things are sometimes interesting uh, that come through there. So I think there is a side effect of like accessibility in other areas plus like the internet and people kind of forgetting what my actual email address is or just like not bothering to send stuff through there. So over the years, the the amount of messages that I would get via email from people who just listen to the podcast or watch the videos has dramatically decreased in this like half-life kind of way, which is quite frankly, fantastic. It's really great. And then the other main factors are the things that we talked about on earlier shows, just that, again, m- much to my astonishment, Slack has absorbed, I mean, literally thousands of messages and communications that would have been emails before. Like it's, mm-hmm. It's just uncountable how many emails Slack has avoided. So the real important communication happens through Slack. And then the other the other bit of a contributing factor is, which I do I do feel kind of bad about, but like people who need to reach me for something important have learned over the years, don't contact me directly. They just contact my assistant directly. And they know that she will get a reply back to them a million times faster than if they try to contact me directly. And in no small part, often because she can just get the answer or like she knows what the procedure is. And so uh, like there are a lot of messages that go to her that I don't even see. So that's the only reason why my my situation of having not looked at email uh, hardly at all last year has not resulted in like 20,000 messages. Uh, It's resulted in like a big number and there is a thing that like the messages that are left there are are all a little bit uh looking at things this morning like idiosyncratic or difficult to deal with so they're not easy messages but it's not it's not like a crazy pile that's going to take me an infinity of time to dig through it's it's just like a bunch of messages that i i will hopefully clear eventually and that i do want to clear eventually because i know that there is some stuff in there that i wouldn't want to miss and i also want to be able to sleep well at night is the plan though that you will continue to look at your email past the point of putting it all into order again yeah i think i think what will happen or what i would like to happen for the year of order Mm -hmm. is that i've i figure out where in my schedule I should put a clearing of the email. And the problem is like I as as time has gone on, I have really I found this interesting thing with my brain that has changed where my brain just really hates and is repelled by what I think of as administrative work in a way that it didn't used to be. Like I used to be much better at dealing with administrative work and I have definitely gotten way worse at that over the years i mean I, I my expectation would be it's because you have an assistant who handles a lot of that stuff for you now exactly like that like no no doubt about it that's one of the main reasons is that it's like oh there's a ton of this stuff that i don't have to do and then it then suddenly it switches fr- to like oh i have to do this administrative task like oh that's terrible like how annoying um so i have definitely gotten way worse at that but i need to as part of the year of order kind of sit down and figure out when is it that I'm going to clear clear through my email? And it doesn't need to be on like a very frequent basis, obviously, because I was able to get away with like barely looking at it last year. But I need to 
do this so that I don't have the nagging feeling in the back of my head of like, oh God, is there something in email that I need to deal with? Like th- that's the main reason why I want to do it. But I am very much aware that the email feels a bit now like the physical mail that comes to my house where it's like, oh, this is a thing that I just, mm. I have to deal with. Yeah. But it is in no way my primary method of of communication or do I feel like it's it's a useful thing like e- email has really become a kind of janitorial task for me o- over time in, in a way that I find I find interesting as opposed to being what it used to be which was like a much more primary communication method well I, I wish you luck in finding that app Mike mm, mm-hmm. I, I think I think of the two of us one of us is going to have an easier time with his future of email yeah and i don't i don't think it's going to be you in a way <laughs> i no. think you're not you're not going to find that app <laughs> no i don't think i am either <laughs> yeah, i'll let you know when i get to the bottom of my of my email and we'll see if you found an app before then ready set go Today's episode is also brought to you by Away, who are a team of thinkers, seekers, and designers who make smart premium suitcases for under $300, meaning your luggage won't cost more than your plane ticket. If you're anything like me, what you need most when you're traveling is battery. Even just the journey from my home to the airport when I'm getting on a plane seems to somehow suck all of the battery life force from all of my devices. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm using them more. I'm preparing more. I'm getting stuff ready. But when I get to the airport, I have no battery power left, so I need to be able to charge it. I don't want to be able to walk around and try and fight people for those little plug sockets. You know, the ones that you see in the airports and they've always got like a million devices plugged into them and you can never get more than 20 seconds of battery power. What you need is an away suitcase. When I'm traveling with my away suitcase, I have a battery built right in. I can just plug my phone in and let it charge. It is bloody brilliant. Both of Away's carry-ons feature USB ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge so you'll never be without battery again. Go to awaytravel.com slash cortex right now and browse Away's suitcase products. They are all made with premium German polycarbonate which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. They have a carry-on, a bigger carry-on, a medium, a large and the kids carry-on as well. Away cut out the middleman so you can get first class luggage at coach prices and they have over 10 colors that you can choose from. They have TSA combination locks built in, a fantastic compression system so even if you're an overpacker you're going to be fine. They have four 360 degree spinner wheels which is a must to get your cases through the airports easily and one of my favorite features a removable washable laundry bag too away believe in the quality of their products so they offer a lifetime guarantee if anything breaks they'll fix or replace it for life and they have a 100 day trial with no questions asked return policy Travel smarter with the suitcase that charges your phone. Go to awaytravel.com slash Cortex, and if you use the code Cortex at checkout, you'll get $20 off any of their suitcases, and they have free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states of the US, but they do ship worldwide. That is awaytravel.com slash Cortex, and use the code Cortex for $20 off. Our thanks to Away for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. So it's Cortex Book Club time, and we're going to talk about triggers uh, I think we just need to get out of the way. We're going to talk about triggers a lot, and there's multiple meanings for the word triggers. <laughs> uh, but triggers are a specific thing which 
are in this book which don't really have any meaning on the other word other meanings of trigger but like this is kind of where we are i guess <laughs> the, the funny thing is the book really isn't even about triggers very much like I, I find like i find the title very funny in a whole bunch of ways and one of which is it's like it's like they picked a word that it's not actually mentioned a ton in the book but triggers are one part <laughs> of many more parts to the systems and ideas that goldsmith is trying to put across yeah so i don't know why they chose triggers like Triggers are a big part of it, but like the the daily questions and the questions that he talks about, active questioning, is also yeah. as important. It's pecu- very peculiar. There's a, a whole bunch of other things, and I'm absolutely convinced there was just a meeting at the publishers somewhere where they were trying to they were just trying to think of what the title should be, and just pick it and like ah, let's go for a thing that's a single word and. Uh, you know, the book is published a few years ago before the word became slightly ridiculous. And I think like, oh, that's a good word. Let's go with that. And I'm like, oh, no, years later, uh, it makes readers snicker. But it, it was just, I, I'm sure that's what happened. They were just trying to pick a bold word to be the title of the book. And yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a title that really suits the book very well. And it's kind of funny. You want to hear my kind of overall meta comments about this book? I, 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 yeah, I am, I'm interested to know your general impression of this book. So I like that it wasn't too long, six hours, um, which is, you know, for, for a business book, that is short. Yeah, that is rapid fire. <laughs> this was in part because, for whatever reason, they decided to not fill this book with unnecessary lists. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of that in this book, and that was a, a nice break to not have them list... 25,000 things for every one thing. And every time mm-hmm. that there was a list, I felt like that he was going somewhere with it, right? And it, mm-hmm. that he was actually only doing it to add context as opposed to filling pages. It was read by the author, which is always a concern for me. But I think he did a pretty good job. Um, hmm, that's it, interesting. I didn't realize it was read by the author. Yeah, it, it, and that's always a red flag. But like this guy, did a, he actually did a good job. Um, it, it felt pretty genuine, and he was actually pretty good at it. And he didn't have any really peculiar ticks or anything that sometimes mm-hmm. many people do, right? But that's why there are professional audiobook readers. Um, <laughs> I like that it was modern, actually. Because this is the first business, like, advice focused book that has clearly been written in the modern era. Because mm. he very frequently mentions, like, Facebook and Twitter and apps. And, like, it's going to date this book horrifically, but I liked that it was modern. Because I felt like these ideas have come at a time which is now, as opposed to these ideas were come to... 20 years ago and now they're just trying to make sure that they still apply yeah i I am so used to these books being one of two things old or how to put this written by someone who feels really old yeah right like uh someone who has a a mind that feels old and it it was almost surprising every time there's a mention of like oh that's a book from a few years ago this guy read like oh right that was that was a modern thing or uh talking about apps and things like that it's it's almost surprising he made it he made a there's an app for that joke at one point which i thought was kind of funny (laughs) yeah like i was like all right like this isn't a very good joke but i appreciate it anyway (laughs) right like you know so it was it was good in that sense right and i I will say actually i I liked this book uh i actually Mm -hmm. liked it quite a lot 
I was not annoyed at this book like I usually am at these books. So I think for that reason that you were right to recommend this one because it didn't drive me up the wall. Uh, so that was good. There was one. There is one thing that was really, really funny to me is like how very proud he is of his air miles. There's like a whole oh, section of this book up on that. where he keeps talking about his air miles, right? Like air miles come up a bunch. Then like he just throws in at one point that he has the American Airlines like super mega amazing club thing, <laughs> like in that George Clooney movie, which he even references the George Clooney movie <laughs> up in the air. Like uh, to explain it, right. Okay. He builds it into a story about talking to people in service industries and seeing how they react and if they're engaged or not. But like mm-hmm. it's all based around his super special air miles thing, and it was just it was really funny to me. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I have some quite. I want to dive into some of like the the theories that are put forward in the book. But I had a couple of questions for you. Mm-hmm. I was wondering like why specifically you th- recommended this book for me. Like what parts in this book did you think would be good for me in my current situation, and what did you learn from it as well? I assume they're pretty similar things, but I'm 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 keen to understand that. Well, um, I, I wanted to get your overall impressions first because I felt after the last recording that I had suddenly put myself on the hook a little bit. And I feel like I had put myself on the hook a little bit with the listeners because when we've done most of these book clubs in the past, it's very much a, hey, we're going to read a book that's probably intolerable. Yeah, you took a risk, right? Yeah, I'm like, like... <laughs> that's a real easy thing to say, right? Because you save most people from reading it. And if someone reads it and it is intolerable, uh, like Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, well, I, uh... Gray warned me, right? Like, it's, it's my own dumb fault for reading uh-huh. this this crazy book. And if the reader reads the book and they do like it, well, then they can just think, oh, he's wrong, but I didn't waste my time. Like, I like this book. I got something out of it. And I was just, I've suddenly felt very aware of like, oh, I actually recommended the book. And now I feel like, oh, God, I'm on the hook, right? If the readers don't like it, and if Mike doesn't like it. Recommended to me a time when I really could do with not using six hours on something. Yeah, right? I know, right? That was, that was why, like, you, I, I think you heard me in the show. Like, I was trying to back off because I know, like, oh, Mike's really busy already. And I, some, somehow I felt like we got sucked into this vortex of I'm now going to steal six hours of your life away with this mm-hmm. audiobook. Uh, so, yes, I, I felt I felt very on the hook this time. So I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I am more than a bit relieved that you didn't, you didn't start with a fiery tirade about how much you hated this book and how it was not worth your time. And how you didn't you didn't need this nonsense right now in your life. So I'm 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 feeling quite relieved. I will say, with the exception of Creativity Inc., which is not really a business book, right? Of the books that we've done. It had some ideas in it, but it was mostly a biography. I feel like it's an outlier. Yeah. Um I would say that this is the best one. Um just from an entertainment perspective and from a lessons perspective. I think it had the clearest ideas that mm-hmm. were in a lot of ways new to me where a lot of these books feel like that they're kind of just telling you something you already know but giving you a different way of thinking about it mm-hmm. i thought that this one was really smart and I, and I liked it a lot so that's why i felt like i could recommend it at the end of the last show is you know th- this one was recommended to me by someone who said oh yeah this is this is pretty good as these things go and i really think that if someone's generally thinking about ideas about how to be productive or how to 
improve their situation in life. I think this is a pretty good recommendation because it's partly like what I was joking about before that the title triggers kind of makes no sense because the the book talks about so much. I feel like there it's relatively short, but it also covers a lot of ground and that almost certainly there are going to be very different things in here that will resonate with people at different stages or or needing something different in their life. And so part of the reason why I mentioned it to you was because we were talking about the journaling last time. And I was thinking about how, oh, yeah, there was this whole section that's like, it's not exactly journaling, but it's very journaling adjacent. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the part that has had stuck with me and kind of made me want to read the book again. But I also think for for someone who has read fewer of these books or like maybe someone who is more in the stage of just like trying to become a more effective or productive person. I feel like the the first part of this book has a lot of great stuff in it as well of like, here's a way of thinking about stuff you just might not have thought about before. And that that's the stuff that it'll, it'll be no surprise to listeners of the show that I, I really love, like trying to talk to and convince the reader like, hey, you're less in control of your choices than you may think you are. But there's also a lot that you can do to try to increase your autonomy or to make better decisions in different circumstances. And I think that's a that's a good thing for people to hear. I feel like he does a pretty good job talking through that idea in a bunch of different ways. And then there's there's just a lot of other ideas in the book, which I think are good, even if they're not applicable. So uh, I feel like in the middle third, there's a bunch of stuff about like working with employees, which I sort of skimmed over the first time and skimmed over again the second time. Mm-hmm. But but this is but this is the same thing where it's like, that section is not really for me. It's not super relevant for me. And it doesn't matter. And it also doesn't feel like I'm, I'm slogging through 200 pages of management theory. Yeah, that, that's, that section included the air miles thing. <laughs> okay, that's, so that's why it didn't, didn't register in my mind. Because it, it's about employee engagement. Right. And, and, and even, even there, it's just like, oh, okay, this is not for me, but I can still see he has some interesting ideas about like, here's four different ways to think about how your employees may respond to your feedback. And from talking with other people who actually work in big, like that seems to be a useful section if you're in the right situation. Uh, but it's like, oh, I can just blow past this and it doesn't matter. So I just felt like there's a lot in it. I think most of it's good. And I, I really deeply appreciated, like you said, that it is not bogged down in a lot of the usual business book craziness. Like, I, I don't think I have a single note about crazy stuff. One of the things that, many business books do is to use examples of people which we talk about all the time because they sound so ridiculous and this Mm -hmm. book uses examples heavily but i believe them because two reasons one they feel like real people and the other sometimes they are real identifiable people that he's talking about like he has a whole section talking about alan mulally the ex-ceo of ford right so like it's legit the guy actually does do things and help with like really important executives and so i if he's gonna tell one story that i can see is true then i'm willing to believe the rest as well and if i probably did some digging i could probably work out who the people are because you know he he seems to be interesting in that way and like works with some interesting people but they're real people and that makes me respect the book way more if i believe that the person can actually do what they're saying they can do 
because they have a they have a track record which you can see exists if they've actually helped real successful people yeah the 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 examples of the of people in the book they're not sarah's right stories where they're just wowed with how amazing the author is Mm -hmm. like in e-myth revisited and view the author as some kind of savior figure who is passing on amazing knowledge and their entire life exists just to be a perfect parable of whatever the author wants. They, they really do feel like actual people. And like you said, he has named actual people. Did you happen to look at, in the beginning, the, the section where before the book starts, but it's like people giving blurbs for the book? Have you, did you take a look at that? It's not in the audiobook. Oh, of course, it's not in the audiobook. Okay. This book has maybe the most impressive list of people I have ever seen giving blurbs for the book okay. and working with the author. Give me some give me some names. Jim Kim, 12th president of the World Bank. Holy moly. All right. <laughs> right? <laughs> Start off with the big guns. <laughs> right. It's like I've had the great fortune of working with Marshall for several years and he has helped me in so many ways, right? And it's like just glowing praise. So then it's like CEO of the New York City Public Library System, CEO of the Harvard Business Review. I'm just like, there's so many. I'm trying to pick out the ones that are more recognizable, but they're all they're all just crazy. CEO and managing partner at Goldman Sachs, CEO of Rothschilds Group, founder and chairman of Getty Images, CEO of Del Monte Foods Incorporated, managing partner at the Blackstone Group. CEO of Herman Miller. Yeah, okay. This person's not messing around, right? Like I have I have gone through 25% of the thanks for working with me section blimey. at the beginning of this book. Okay. Like I have never seen anything like it. It is just crazy. So I didn't I didn't notice that until after having read it, but going back it was like, holy moly. <laughs> this is like this is no joke and I think it's I was astounded by the author's business model, where his business model is he will work with these high-powered people, and he will not get paid unless people in the client's life agree that he has been effective at implementing change two years after they start working together. Right? It's like, whoa, that is a man who has set himself up in a situation where he is going to figure out what is actually effective and what is not. Mm-hmm. And it is just remarkable. That it's, it's not even that, that the client gets to say, oh, yes, I think he was effective. It's like, no, no, the client's spouse gets to determine whether or not he should get paid. And that is a much higher bar. That is a way higher bar. Uh, so, yeah, the, the author is totally not messing around. And I think that is why the examples in the book feel real. They, do, they don't feel forced or imaginary. Like he's just thinking about the clients he's worked with and people who are good examples of whatever he happens to be talking about. So let's go through a couple of the things that are focused on. We won't go through everything because, as you said, like, I, don't, I don't think that it's necessarily all applicable for everyone. And there are some yeah. parts of this book where like, I've heard things like this before. Yeah. The beginning section is about triggers. and. The triggers go hand in hand with behavioral change. That's kind of what the, the book is about. It's like changing your behavior. Yeah. And I 
I love that like it basically starts off with being like, look, adult behavioral change is a really, really hard thing to do. Like it's really hard to change your behavior as an adult. I, I love this as the start of the book, and I feel like it's it's something that really sold me on it is because and I I I haven't highlighted, you know, his his section, this is like literally page two is he's like, I'm gonna tell you a truth. And the truth is that meaningful behavioral change is very hard to do. And it's a quote. I'd go so far as to say that adult behavioral change is the most difficult thing for sentient human beings to accomplish. I love that quote so much. <laughs> it's great. And what I love about it is I really think it's true. And he, he spends the next couple of pages kind of forcing you to think about it. And, and he's like, when was the last time you changed some behavior in your life? And he go. He's kind of knocks down the things that people are going to mention, where they just they just discuss something that's actually different in there, like something that has happened to have changed. Uh, but he's trying to find a case where, like, you have decided to do something differently, and you were successful in maintaining that change over a long period of time. And it kind of makes me think of of like why I like to talk about the time tracking so much because I think he does do a pretty good job of making you take a brutal look in the mirror. And see how horrifically ineffective you have actually been at deciding to change something in your life. And he's like, and, and I think that's a great setup. It's like, this is going to be really hard. What you need to do to change your behavior is simple. But simple doesn't mean that it is easy. And almost everybody fails at this almost all of the time. And I just think that is such a refreshing start to a book like this. Because he even uses smoking as an example of not being enough. Because yeah. there are so many reasons that you might want to quit smoking that it's not really a behavioral change. Like you're doing it because your health is at risk or you're doing it because right. the people around you don't want you to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so like it doesn't really count as changing a behavior. You've just quit smoking. And yeah. like, it's like, wow, okay. You're not messing <laughs> yeah. around here, Goldsmith. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's like, exactly it. You're like, don't tell me about your quitting smoking. I'm not interested. <laughs> so we should talk about the triggers. And there's there's a couple of different things that he talks about with the triggers, but the the real meaty one, the one that I find really interesting, is what is referred mm -hmm. to as environmental triggers. So mm -hmm. how and this is what really hit me. Your environment can make you react to things in certain ways. So like, for example, if somebody speaks to you softly, you will speak back to them softly. That is an environmental mm -hmm. trigger because something that it, you have no control over is making you react in a way that you wouldn't normally react if you had complete control of a situation. So somebody being softly spoken will make you do that too. And there are these types of things that happen in our lives constantly these different situations that we're in, different groups that we're a part of that affect the way that we react to certain situations. And an individual throughout a day can go through a myriad of these things in what may make somebody appear to do something that is in direct direct conflict of something they did earlier in the day because they're in a different situation. And he uses a great example of like a mother who is an executive. Right. And at home in the morning, getting the children ready for school, that is your environment. And in that environment, you are top of the tree. The kids mm -hmm. will listen to you and you get them ready and you send them off. But where you're like a mid-level executive at a company, you don't tell everyone what to do anymore. You're in an organization and you may do something for somebody 
that you wouldn't do at home. And it's like, mm -hmm. wow, like, okay, I get it, right? The environment that you're in can change the way that you react to certain requests and certain actions. Yeah, I love this idea. And I feel like this this really goes to the core of some of my beliefs about how how people act. And in, in just, just again, in, in the, this idea that like you are in different circumstances, a different person. I don't know when I when I talk to people, I find a lot of people have like a like a weird resistance to this idea, or like they think of other people as like, oh, this person should be totally consistent all the time. But like, but nobody is like people act differently in different environments. But I think he does do a very good job of of trying to not just discuss that idea that you are different in different situations. But trying to bring it to your attention about like when are you, when are you acting like a better self or a worse self, yep. and trying to identify like what is it in this environment that is making me act better, or really the thing that he's mostly focusing on is what is the thing in this environment that is making you act worse. And he has a little detail which I really like, which is thinking about the human environment, not just the physical environment. So like he, he talks about people as an environment. Like, you know, if someone is not getting along with a colleague, like he uses an example, like a guy called Simon, who's, who's like causing problems for you with the office, that you need to think about it as like you are now in the Simon environment and recognize that you have a history of acting poorly in this environment. And like, what what can you do like step one, acknowledging that, and then step two, trying to think about how to react in those circumstances. But I just, I really like that idea of people and combinations of people mm -hmm. as a as a kind of environment that they're, they're not just like, it's not like what I normally think of as like the physical space is, is the environment and the humans are like props inside that environment. It's like, no, no, the environment is the combination of all of these things. And I think that's a nice addition into how to think about the way you are acting or reacting to what's going on. And this is where the triggers come in. So you have the environment, right? So use the Simon environment, the person you don't get on with well at work. That environment triggers you to react in a certain way. And that might be that you become very short-tempered when you're around that person because they frustrate mm -hmm. you. And that's what you need to change. You need to change the trigger. You can't change the environment the environment is what it is but you have to try and change the way that you react in those environments and that's what mm -hmm. the triggers are the trigger is how you react so like there is a thing that happens and different people react to that thing differently and every single person however they react that is the way that they are triggered some people can deal with certain things that other people can't etc etc that's the triggers are different for different people depending on the environment that they're in and the triggered response is the thing that you have to try and change if you want to make behavioral change. So like some examples of ways that people have been able to deal with this stuff is like, here's an example of a guy who writes things down on an index card to remind him how to react in a certain way. Or there's a somebody who's taking friends out in a city and he's doing this a bunch and he's getting bored of like showing people the same tourist things. So he has a reminder go off on his phone to remind him like, don't be an idiot about this, right? Because his usual trigger would be to get grumpy. Or if you're around Simon, your usual trigger is to get like really snappy with Simon. But your trigger needs to be not that. 
right? The way that you react in that situation needs to be not that. And you have to try and change the way that you react in those instances, in those environments. Yeah. Like I think the, the practical example of um, the guy who getting bored showing visitors around the same events in the city, like, like what he's trying to suggest there is you have a little reminder pop up on your phone because phones exist in this modern business yep. world, right? Uh, which I did, I did note. But I thought like this is so simple, but it's a great idea of having your phone pop up a reminder every 45 minutes asking, are you enjoying the time with your friends, right? To, to change the mental framing from like, I'm at this, I'm at the statue of Liberty for the 40th time that you, you change the framing to like, my environment is that I am, I'm with my friends. And the question is like, am I enjoying this time with them? Like, don't focus on like, oh, I'm at the statue of Liberty again. That's not, that's not the relevant thing here. I thought like, that's actually a pretty great idea to just have a little thing pop up to constantly remind you. It's like, yeah, it's simple and it's dumb, but I could totally see that being an effective thing to do. And I've, I've actually in a couple of scenarios used something like that, whereas like just poke a little reminder to kind of ask me a question about the situation that I'm in to like reframe it mentally. And I think it's, I think it's actually quite effective. So you used an example there of what are called either active or engaging questions as a way to, to change the triggers. So this is an idea of having a question that you ask yourself, which is like an open question that you have to react to. And mm -hmm. this is how Goldsmith recommends that we change our triggers is by having these ways of checking in with ourselves on a frequent and regular basis, usually with some method of accountability from another individual as a way to try and enforce a change in us. So for example, I'm gonna give some like a, a short list of questions that are given in the book as engaging questions. Uh, so like, did I do my best to set clear goals today? Did I do my best to be happy today? Did I do my best to be engaged today? And these are like questions that you have to give some kind of answer to. Like you have to like score them in some ways, the way that he recommends it. So like you give yourself a score out of 10 or something for like how well did I do in each of these areas? And this is one of the ways that you will change your triggers, the way that you react to things because you start to frame your life slightly differently. Yeah, and this was this was really the core of the section that I was thinking of when when you were discussing journaling last time because is reading this book and sort of going through stuff. And this to me feels like prime journaling material. And I think this this to me was the was, was the part of the book that that stuck with me the most. I I noticed it. Like as, as soon as I got to this section, I could see why you recommended the book to me. Hmm. Yeah, and there's a few things that I re I really I really like about this. And well, okay, so one of the things is he has these questions that he asks himself every day and they all start with did you try your best to and when I first start reading this stuff I, I kind of like roll my eyes a little bit mm -hmm. but then he immediately addresses exactly what's going on and I thought like this is this is actually a great linguistic change that he makes the, he makes the point that we totally treat effort as as what he calls like a second class citizen and that what matters in behavior change is like it's not actually the absolute record of, of success or failure. That what matters is you are keeping it in your mind as this is a thing that you are trying to do. 
And so in with that framing, like it's perfectly okay to fail to achieve behavior change on particular days because that's not what the question is asking. It's asking like, did you try? I feel like this book really changed my mind on that kind of framing around trying versus succeeding that like effort really does count in this field in a way that in other fields it totally doesn't count like there's many places <laughs> where it's like a for effort means f for achievement and i'm so used to that as being the default but i just i really like this this different framing of things and that is the part that has has stuck with me the most is thinking about trying to rework a, a journal into my regular life with a series of these questions about like, did you try your best to whatever? And I don't know. I just, I, I, that, that was the part that really, really struck me. And I, I thought it, I thought it's just, it makes something in my mind clear about these questions. And when I've thought about the kinds of things that I would want to change in my own life, I'm very aware that the trying framework is is different because it's, it's like, um, you know, I often go on stretches where I'm, I'm stricter or looser with, say, limiting the carbohydrates in my diet. And when, I, when I've thought about that for like, oh, I'm trying to reduce carbohydrates in my diet, there's something very different about the, the decision moments in life where it's like, oh, maybe I could eat a pizza, right? And there's something different about thinking like, oh, I have failed today to do this thing versus it feels way worse to think like if I press a button and a pizza comes to my house, I didn't even try. Right. And it's like, Oh, that makes me kind of re reframe this in a, in a very different way where it's like, it's somehow weird. Like it's almost more acceptable to just fail. Right. Like the difference is having a slice of toast is like, okay, I didn't do the best that i could have done today i mean maybe i scored like a seven out of ten mm -hmm. as compared to like if you didn't have if it was like a binary yes or no you could eat an entire baguette right right and it wouldn't matter because you've already failed today so you may as well fail spectacularly yeah exactly as opposed to grading yourself on like a like how well did i do well okay i had a piece of toast but i only have one piece yeah as opposed to like, well, I just ate the entire loaf because why not, right? Like I've already failed. Yeah, like, yeah, it avoids a kind of cascade of failures where you feel like oh, I haven't done the thing at all. So I might as well really not do it. <laughs> and so like one of the, just a very, very, like if, if you're struggling to like conceptualize this, Godsworth gives an example of a, of a very simple question. So did you have a good day? Mm -hmm. Right. And that is like a yes or a no, mm -hmm. right? Did I have a good day today? No, I didn't have a good day today. This is very different to what he thinks is a better question, which is what did you do today to make a positive impact? Mm -hmm. That is very different as a question because you may not have had a good day, but you might have done one thing that was good. Yeah. So now the day wasn't a complete failure. Yeah. Or even just a more simple rephrasing of, did I try to have a good day today? Mm -hmm. like, like immediately changes moments in your life where you feel like you were being grumpy just to be grumpy. You weren't even trying to have a good day. Whereas it's way easier to score it as like, no, I didn't have a good day at all. I was super grumpy. Uh, and it's just, I think it really is just, a, just a, a super great reframing of this. But he does suggest, and this is where the journaling comes in, that like you're keeping a record over time 
and that like you're you're checking in at a particular time and and seeing how these things are going and of course i totally love that just like the section in the beginning he also acknowledges like this is is really hard to do and if you are scoring yourself honest honestly he talks again about like it's really hard to at the beginning face the reality that like you claim these things are important but you're not even trying if you're being honest with the scoring a lot of the times and again i just think that's great and it all again it makes me think of the time tracking where it's like it's just so brutal to look at when you first begin but that's kind of the point and so when you're trying to come up with a list of questions about behavioral changes that you want like you should totally expect that you're going to have a real brutal list of numbers to look at sometimes and that's that's to force you to think about are you really trying is this a thing that you actually want to do right now or is this a thing that like is not really a priority in your life one of his little anecdotes is he's talking about a discussion with atul gawande who is the author of the checklist manifesto which is a book i've talked about before as really liking the details of the anecdote this is hilarious to me like (laughs) here's a guy who has written a book on checklists who is unable to do a simple thing in his life. It was to sign up for life insurance. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what it was. Like, just to sign up for life insurance. And he just, his question then at the end of the day is like, did you try to set up any kind of life insurance for your family today? And it's like an incredibly successful guy who's a doctor, who is a multiple New York Times bestselling author who wrote a book on literal checklists. Like even this guy has things on his mind that he feels like, oh, this is super important and I should do and has to face the grim reality of you didn't even try today to do this thing that you claim is is so important. Uh, and eventually like it guilt, he guilt trips himself into into doing it. But I just, I always like to see that kind of thing that it's like even people who are very successful have these kinds of problems. So Atul Gawande says, like, there was a quote from him in the book that, like, this system changed his life, right? And <laughs> the thing is, I believe it because he named him, right? right? Because this is an example of when in other books you would roll your eyes to be like, oh, someone who wrote the book on checklists needed your question for his checklist mm-hmm. to be able to actually do a thing. But I will believe it because you named the guy. Because he can say you were lying, right? (laughs) So it's like this is an example of why I'm willing to like, I'm more willing to believe that this system works because the examples are believable. Because the examples Mm -hmm. are supposed to show me the system works. So if I believe the examples, I believe that there's value in the system. Mm. Now, I really, really liked this engaging questions thing, but and I I have a problem for it. So I created a small list of questions for myself, but I'm not sure how to integrate them into my journal, it, it wouldn't work. Like, I don't want to write seven questions out every single day and then mm-hmm. score them. So, like, I'm trying to find a way to make it make sense for me. Like, maybe I have, like, a different part of the book where I kind of keep a score, maybe in the back or something. I, I haven't worked this out yet, but I'm I'm going to try. And I'm willing to share mm-hmm. the questions if you were interested to hear them. I, I am interested to hear them, although I'm just I'm curious. Like, if you use some sort of digital paper system, you could just I don't want to paste no, a okay. template over and so over. So this is something I didn't mention yeah. earlier. You know, when you said to me that you were you were really impressed that I kept the journal going like so uh-huh. easily. Part of it is because I love using my pens and paper. Right, of course. Right, so getting to do that every day brings a joy to me that doing it on my iPad wouldn't. And so mm-hmm. if I want to integrate this into my system, I need to find a practical way of doing it. And I just haven't yeah, worked no. out what that is yet. 
No, I understand. I'm just teasing you. I know you are. I know you are. So let me. I have seven questions. Like gray copy and paste. All right. Tell me. Tell me what your questions are. Okay. Did I do my best to be creative today? Did Mm. I do my best to advance new ideas today? Did I do my best to make sure revenue is being generated? Mm. Did I do my best to make my colleagues feel valued? Did I do my best to do something good for Adina? Did I do my best to engage with my audience? And did I do my best to improve my health? Hmm. They are my questions so far. Yeah, those are good. Those are good. And I, I tried to keep them open. I tried to keep them like vague. Like the one, did I do my best to make sure revenue is being generated? There are like a bunch of different ways that I can answer that question. And I could have said, did I do my best to make a sale today? And that's very different. Yeah, the revenue one is a way better question. So I thought hard about that one because I wanted to have something in there, right? Because I sell podcast sponsorships, but it's not the only way my company can generate revenue. And like there are other things that I can do to to try and like set a basis for doing this as opposed to actually making a sale. And Mm -hmm. I figured that that would be for my personal mental health more important than because the sales don't happen every day because they don't need to. They happen... If they happen every week, then we're doing great, right? Like you could get one sale a week and it's fine because they happen in in like chunks of time. So I wouldn't want to be every single day beating myself up over not signing a contract. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the thing, a little detail that I like here in the book as well is while it starts out with that tough love of, guess what? This is going to be really hard. And guess what? You're going to say things that are important to you. You're going to not even try for a week every day to Mm -hmm. do them. He immediately goes to this example of like, and guess what? Your questions aren't going to be that different from everybody else's questions. Oh, I loved that. It's like, you're going to be a cliche, but there's a reason. Yeah. 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 Yeah, He totally says like, yeah, he's like, you're going to be just like everybody else. Right. And so to, to paraphrase it slightly, he says like, your goals will be plucked from a classic self-improvement menu, the menu we all feast on. Mm-hmm. Lose weight, get fit, get organized, learn something new, quit a bad habit, save more money, help others, spend more time with family, travel to new places, fall in love, and be less stressed. What's great is he, he finishes with, because you feel a bit like, oh, I guess I'm, I'm just like another sheep in this system. But I love that he, he acknowledges like the fact that other people have similar goals doesn't make those goals less worthy. And I feel like that really does free you up to be able to have just like boring anodyne goals. And that's fine, right? These are the same goals everybody has. And there is nothing wrong with that. And I just, I really like that he, he took a moment to explicitly call that out of like, hey, you don't need to be super creative yeah. with these questions. Like these are the right? things that as a human race we have agreed upon will make us happy. Yeah, this is the stuff that everybody wants to do, and yep. there's a reason for it. So I, I just, but I, I really like that little moment just to be like, don't worry, you don't need to be super fancy with your, did I generate revenue today, right? It's, it's like, whatever. You want to lose weight? Welcome to the Western world. <laughs> you're, you're, it's fine. That's perfectly fine to have as a goal. There was one last part I wanted to touch on with this book, which happens mm-hmm. before the questions. Cause, so the questions are about creating a system of accountability, Right, that's what you do. You create these questions, and then if you want to make your change, you have to answer the questions and you're accountable to the questions, right? But before that, he talks about like why we need this type of system. And it's because as humans, we are superior planners and inferior doers. 
Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. saying that each individual is both a leader and a follower. In the morning, at the beginning of our day, the leader is ready for action, setting out our tasks and wanting and like believing this is the stuff I want to do today and I'm going to achieve all of it. Then you hand mm-hmm. over to the follower part of yourself who has to then execute on the leader's plan. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't work out because we get tired or we get distracted. Like is in the same way that if you have anybody work for you, you may ask them to do a task, but it doesn't get completed. Right. You do that to yourself every single day. And this was like one of the most genius things I've ever heard in business training is the systems of leadership and motivation that we learn to try and motivate and lead other people, you have to do to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I and it like opened this like opened my mind. I was like, that is <laughs> genius, right? That like we learn all of these things about leadership styles and mentorship styles and like how to motivate and engage people, but we never think about the fact that you also have to do it to yourself because you rely mm-hmm. on yourself to do work every day. And I was like, oh my god, that is genius. I loved it. Yeah, it's it's a really great part of the book. And and also goes to that idea of like not not being a consistent self, that you you react differently in these different environments, but also the again I just I love how he points out like how many times have you successfully implemented the plan the morning you had right and it's like wow mm-hmm. I can count those numbers of days like on one hand uh, because morning you is always way optimistic about what can actually occur and it's like oh two p.m. you is real sleepy <laughs> right. And, I just I I think it's I think it is a a great framing. It's a great way to be aware of things. And I I like it on both ends where he's trying to tamp down planning use desires mm-hmm. and and trying to do do the thing of like you set up things for the you who is going to be lazier in the future, right? And you try you try to make it easy for that guy and that guy's going to need some serious management help. And for for morning you, it's he has a hard time recognizing that. And I I do like that he just really calls out that part of your plan about any kind of behavior change has to include the easy to forget fact that in the future you will not be as motivated as you currently are. Mm-hmm. Right? And like you you have to take that into account. And I just I think it's such it's such an obvious like so many of these points like some of them are they're very obvious, but it's great to to draw that in, to be like, you need to explicitly think about this. All business book stuff is obvious once you hear it, but it's about the way they codify it. Mm-hmm. Like that's what's and so like another great example is saying about weather forecasting. Like people that care about the weather check the weather constantly and adjust their days to match. It's like, why mm-hmm. don't we do that for ourselves in our tasks mm-hmm. and motivations for the day? Like you set out with an idea in the daytime, but you're keeping track of what is going on and adjusting on the fly to deal with that. And mm-hmm. it's like all of this stuff is just like, re- this is a really good book. This is a very good book. I, I like it a lot. There's one. F- there's many, many more points in the book we could cover, uh, but I really think that this is a book that has a lot in it. And it and there's like a bunch of things that I would I highlighted because I feel like, ooh, this really, this really speaks to me mm-hmm. in, in my particular situation, but might not be interesting in a general conversation but the, he made one point that again is so obvious but to hear someone just talk about it in a 
clear way is like, you know, it's an excellent point. And one of the things he talks about is activities that have a certain kind of inertia. And he just talks about being aware that whatever you're doing, it's often very hard to stop doing that thing. And so it's like, oh, hey, you sit down to watch a little bit of Netflix. And nobody watches a little bit of Netflix, <laughs> right? And it just, it made me think about like one of these pieces of productivity advice that I've always thought like, is there a human on earth who can do this because it's not me? You'll hear people say things like, why don't you work for a little while? And then you give yourself a break, a nice reward. And you spend 10 minutes on social media and then you go right back to work. And, you know, it's a reward for having to, like, does anybody do that? Is there anybody on the face of the earth who's like, I'll just boot up Mario Kart for 10 minutes. I'll just play a couple races and then I'll get right back into that important work I was doing. Like, nobody does that. And so he talks about this, this idea of inertia. And there's something that's been creeping up in my mind, which he doesn't talk about but like I've started to think about the flip side of that because I was thinking like, wait a minute, there are a bunch of activities that aren't this way. Things like exercise, right? Or things like writing a script or certain kinds of very intense work. I feel like I've come to recognize this category of things that I'm thinking of as self-terminating activities. I really think that there is, there's, an importance in recognizing that there are a lot of things that are, are self-terminating activities versus the stuff that he's talking about, like inertial activities. And I, I feel like this is, I haven't quite settled my thoughts on this entirely, but there's something here about gaining an understanding of the distinction between these two things. And that in, in general, self-terminating activities are, are things that you'd rather spend your time on than inertial activities where you can just do them forever. That there's, that there's, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I wish I could explain this better in my head, but it's just, it's just something that, that has been on my mind since I first read the book is this, this thought of like things worth doing are self-terminating and things that are enjoyable, but maybe less worthy in a way have this inertial quality that he talks about that you just want to keep doing them for forever. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's just a thing that struck me and uh, I'm going to again recommend the book pretty highly because I feel like there's a lot in here that even if some of it doesn't seem to resonate at all, I think that almost everybody will find something that y- you feel like sticks sticks with you after you've read the book. Yeah, I, I recommend it. I really do recommend it. This is this is a good pick. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there, as we've said. Like, it's not a big book. I recommend going to it. There's like a bunch of like still really practical things we've not even touched on. There's, yeah, there's, I think, there's a lot we haven't touched on. I think there's. I think people could get a lot from this, so I recommend it. So again, it's Triggers by Marshall Goldsmith. It's a very very good book. Uh, before we go, cortexmerch.com, cortexmerch.com. <laughs> go there, buy merch at cortexmerch.com. <laughs> cortexmerch.com <laughs>